Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to talk about a heat rock, you know, flammables, hot material. And today, we are tackling one of the greatest albums of all time, Purple Rain by Prince. It's worth remembering that in 1984, Prince Rogers Nelson was taking a huge gamble with Purple Rain. And sure, his previous album from 82, 1999, was a monster. And Heat Rock's listeners should go back and listen to our episode with Anil Dash about that album. But the idea that this mercurial star from Minneapolis could follow up with a hit film and soundtrack was hardly guaranteed. And yet, by the end of 84, Purple Rain had dominated the pop charts as the number one album for almost the entire second half of the year and is now universally considered to be one of Prince's greatest albums, one of the greatest soundtrack albums, and of course, simply one of the greatest pop albums of all time. You know it, you love it, and if you don't, (laughs) listen to our episode and see if we can't change your mind about that. To talk about Purple Rain, we invited Michelle and Degeo Cello. I let my tape rock till my tape popped, said Christopher Wallace, who could easily have been describing my obsession with an album that showed up in my life in the fall of 1994 called Plantation Lullabies. Mm. It was, for me, love at first listen. Everything, the funk of it, the feel of it, the moments of melancholy, her bars, black love and wokeness from a virtuoso before we had even coined the term. And I had met my first guitar hero. First, because I hadn't yet discovered Rosetta, Gail Ann Dorsey, or Lady Bo. Mm. But I had discovered Michelle de Giocello. And in the fall of 1994, I had also discovered myself and had a soundtrack to accompany me on the journey. Several albums later, I am still moved by the magic of comfort woman, weather, the world has made me the man of my dreams, bitter, ventriloquism, and more, by her reimagination of classics and Nina Simone, by the story she tells us sonically about a complicated Southern family and sugarcane, for stepping into the film projects where I found love, Love Jones, and Rush Over, Higher Learning and Soul Searching, and for Oysters, and for the memories your music has made for me, I just want to thank you for letting me be myself again. Michelle, welcome to Heat Rocks. Oh, thanks. That's amazing. (laughs) So what was your introduction to Prince? Let's start there. Yeah, I had a feeling when I chose this this recording that I would have to have a lot of backstory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for those who know and have read or heard interviews from me, you know, Prince is the reason I wanted to be a musician. Mm. I remember, remember hearing the For You recording. Um, one of my mother's good friend's daughter, who was at least 10 to 12 years older than me, played it for me, and it was like nothing I'd ever heard in my life. I'm a teenager when Purple Rain comes out. Yeah. I'm, it was something I went to by myself. 
And the visual element definitely embedded itself, but it's it, it was the going home at night and playing that record mm. over and over again. All the different styles that were uh, incorporated in the soundtrack and and also the story. I guess I had a similar sort of upbringing that had a lot of upheaval. Mm. So it just spoke to me. It made me not feel so alone. And I'm sure that's what made it so important to me or a life changer. But in hindsight, I see it's quite misogynistic. But at that <laughs> moment, <laughs> at that moment in time, you know, this beautiful androgynous young man who played the guitar riding around on his purple motorcycle. Yeah. It was my my James Dean moment, so to speak. <laughs> Along those lines, were you introduced to the film first or the soundtrack first? If you I actually believe I went to see the movie first. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And so I'm curious, what kind of impressions did the movie leave on you? And then you mentioned just a moment ago going home and, and being able to listen to the music again and again had yeah. a, a, a different experience or a different affect. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your encounters in, with both. Well, where I lived, I could walk down this large hill. It would take It's like a 30, 40-minute walk, and there was this huge movie theater where mm-hmm. it was playing. And it, within that same tiny mall was a Kemp Mill Records. So I literally... Went to see the movie, and then after the movie, walked to the record store and walked all the way home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Went to my basement um, and played the record. But I guess the movie, I remember sitting very close. It was large, and it was. It was both dreamy film idol experience, rock hero. Yeah. I just, I mean, my heart beating fast, just thinking about it now, and there was nothing like that. Mm. But also seeing him walk through the streets like a normal person also was intriguing because he was so outer-worldly. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of religious rhetoric, but it was like watching the Messiah, like the person you dream about <laughs> wow. who's going to change the world for you. I know, I know yeah, it yeah. sounds fanatical, but that's right. the well, kind of prince, prince. He, right. person he I was. That, yeah. I was that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I've seen all his shows. You know, I mean, uh, I went to um, the Controversies show at the Capitol Center in D.C., mm. and it wasn't even sold out. And so I was right up front. So mm. I had had that feeling in the flesh as well. <laughs> um, and to see and to have the time in the time opened up for for him, and it sort of solidified the relationship that I guess they had <laughs> for me from watching the film. But yeah, it just it, it formulated so many ideas I had about myself and the music business from that movie. Wow. If I can ask a quick follow-up. Yeah, yeah sorry to talk I, so No, 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 no. This is chat. fantastic. But <laughs> you obviously went into the film and, and the album with some set of ex- expectations as a Prince fan prior to that. And so I'm wondering if you recall, what it, had you heard about Purple Rain as a film and were you going into it? trepidatious were you going in like oh my god this is amazing prince is making a film like what what did you carry in with you no not at all i was the kid who went to the art high school who would go every friday to see you know uh rocky horror picture show okay so i i don't i don't read reviews i definitely didn't then i'm definitely someone who's like no i'm gonna see for myself make my own judgments yeah uh but also you, you people compare it to 1999 for some reason I don't, I don't, or like, just in your introduction, like, right. he'd come from that two-album two, two album, uh, experience, 
I just knew this was going to be different, and yeah. I had zero mm. expectations. Mm. I just knew it was going to be this experience that he was offering us. I think for me, this is the first experience of cross marketing as well. I, uh, yeah, I didn't, but I didn't think of it that way. That's only in hindsight. But I was like, he's going to act. Wow, that's such a <laughs> that's such a leap of faith right yeah. there because no. that is not for every musician. True. So. In hindsight, again, yeah. yeah, wasn't uneven some of the acting, yeah. Right. But at that moment, no, it was, it was everything, yeah, everything to me. My experience with with Purple Rain was. Uh, myself and a bunch of other students went to go see it, and we actually saw it in Berkeley. I was in a summer bridge program, actually, and so we all pulled our money together to go see it. And I just remember being so mesmerized. When we came out, we decided we were going to put together a dance routine to When Doves Cry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we all had this thing, this experience. And when you mentioned the Messiah, I remember the colors you know, that he wore and the purple just reminded me of Easter because in church, especially in Pentecostal churches, when Eastern Palm Sun- Sunday comes around, it's white and it's purple. The church is always bathed in that. Yeah. And he did have that sort of like vibe behind him, the smoke and how he came out. And there was always like a gang of lights behind him. Yeah. So for me, um, Purple Rain, the experience of the film, you know, and the album was a time where I saw Prince. I started to see Prince as larger than life. Mm-hmm. I hadn't before. I'm from a religious family. The other albums, my cousin had gotten saved before me. So she was like, I'm going to give you controversy because I can't play this anymore. And I was like, I can't play this. I looked at the track list and I was like, I can't play this in the house. Purple Rain was the thing I was able to get in the house with the exception of Darling Darling Nikki. And I knew I told my homegirl, I was like, we can't play this. She was like, that's my favorite song. I was like, yeah, but we can't play this yeah, in the that's, house. That's a headphone only track. That's right just there. what it was. So that was uh-huh. that was sort of my experience. And I went back and watched a, I watched the film in, in prep for the chat. Mm-hmm. And so I guess as a youth seeing it, I miss so many things that sort of gave me pause last night. I was like, did Morris Day just throw yes, somebody in the did. dumpster? Yes, he did. <laughs> And I, I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah. No, it, I just was like, wait, wow. And then the whole, like, I mean, I think just being younger, I, I, when I first saw it, I was like, damn, Apollonia's fine. And I think that's where it started and stopped for me. Watching the film again, I was like, is he is he really teasing her with his motorcycle? Is he making her? So there were some things that were problematic, as was a little bit of the acting. But that, for me, sealed Prince's um, larger than life. He became a rock star to me on that album. Mm-hmm. But as you see, though, it's funny. I, I mean, only like I, in my mind now, I do see them as two separate pieces of work. Yeah. Because then when if I, if I just talk about the record, I'm just like, let's go with Dove's Cry. It doesn't have a bass line. That's groundbreaking. Yeah. And uh, for black music at that time. If I just listen to, like, Darling Nikki, oh, God, mm. one of the most amazing rock ballads, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. It's like, if I, if I listen to it just as music, I it's funny. But, yeah, watching it made me 
I had I cringe. It's cringe worthy. <laughs> a few things in there are cringe worthy. Yeah. Not just because now this topic about misogyny is apparent, but also there's the scene where he's with his with his father, mm-hmm. and his father's going through all the music, and he has all these creations. Yet he's a broken person. Really struck me. Like my father's a musician, and I think he had a lot of dreams and plans that didn't come to fruition. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, through me, you know, I think he saw what he couldn't, mm. what something he missed out in life. Yeah. And so that really hit me at, when I watched it. Well, I came to this differently, I think, than the two of you, partly because I was a little bit on the younger side. I think I was probably 12 when the movie came out. And so my introduction to Purple Rain was always first and foremost through the music off the album, and particularly off the hit songs. I don't think I ever heard a non-single on that probably well into my 20s or later. And I didn't see the movie until I was probably in my 30s or... Mm. Yeah, it, it, for whatever reason, that I, there was a lot of movies in the 80s that that I missed out on when I was actually living in the 80s and never felt compelled to go back to. And for whatever reason, Purple Brain was one of them. So by the time I watched it, the things that hit me about it was that it was fascinating to me to see the music from the album being used within the narrative of the film. Like, like I'll Die For You as being kind of this triumphant concert scene. It just changed the meaning of it in a way that, I was about to say it cheapened it. That's probably a little bit harsh, but the song is the, the exuberance of the song to me works sure. better off the album than it does within the logic of the film. But on the flip side, it made me appreciate Morris Day and just the presence that he brought in a way that, as someone who listened to Morris Day in the time, I couldn't have appreciated his personality in the same mm-hmm. way without the movie. So, to me, it was really fascinating, kind of coming to the movie very late, but having sat with those songs for decades at that point. In, in the film, one of the songs that I felt like I wish I would have gotten more is actually Let's Go Crazy because in the film, mm. he plays for longer. He starts messing around with the piano. Yeah, that's a great 12-inch. And hard I, to find. And I wish they, that would have been on the soundtrack because I was just like, where is that? And I think when I bought the bought the album, it wasn't, it wasn't on there and I just oh, felt like, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, um, you wanted to hear something that was closer to I the did. movie version of it. Yeah. I did, because it lo- it's longer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went out, yeah, I, I have that. I just went and got all my re- my vinyl records from my parents' house. And that's when I found the long version of Let's Go Crazy, which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, as a listener, when I sat down and listened, it's funny, it does, it cheapens it in a way. Because Purple Rain as uh, just something you listen to at night alone is such a different experience than you have in the movie, even Mm. though, I I mean, it's supposed to be this triumphant moment. It's still, he gives these women this opportunity begrudgingly. Mm. Um, (laughs) So if you didn't see the film, you know, the movie, the song to you is just this uplifting thing. But in the movie, it's still some, it's like an offering given begrudgingly. So, um, yeah, that's funny. It is, yes, two separate experiences for me. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Michelle and Diggiacello about Prince's Purple Rain after this break to hear from some of our other sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Maximum Fun's new sci fi comedy podcast, Bubble 
is coming to San Diego Comic-Con on July 21st. At 1 p.m., Bubble cast members Travis McElroy, Cristela Alonzo, Eliza Skinner, Allison Becker, Mike Mitchell, Jordan Morris, and Danielle Radford will be signing autographs. Tickets are required, but free. Then at 5 p.m., the cast will participate in a panel moderated by Jesse Thorne, held at the San Diego Central Library. For more information, visit MaximumFun.org SDCC. Hi, this is Jay Keith Van Stratton, host of Go Fact Yourself here on the Maximum Fun Network. On Go Fact Yourself, we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. Oh, by the way, how much do you know about chicken husbandry? You gotta give them that grain. <laughs> All right. <laughs> gotta give them that grain. And then smart again. What future Hall of Fame pitcher for the Cleveland Indians became the first active player to enlist? Bob Feller. When- oh, okay. <laughs> We've got me... Co-host Helen Hong, plus celebrity guests and actual surprise experts. In the coming weeks, you can hear guests like Maria Bamford, Tom Bergeron, Paul F. Tompkins, Janet Varney, and Grant Imahara. And if you're in the New York area, come check us out live. We're doing two shows there on July 21st and July 22nd. Go to GoFactorPod.com for tickets and more. We'll see you in New York or on the first and third Friday of every month here on the Maximum Fun Network. We are back with Michelle and Degiel Cello talking about the iconic Purple Rain album from Prince. What appealed to you musically, all, all instruments? What did you like about Purple Rain? What spoke to you when oh, you heard it? Um, the, the deconstruction of uh, When Doves Cry, the No Bass, was fascinating to me. I thought that was just, that was mind-blowing. Uh, Take Me With You. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it feels. Really, you know... I, I was like that. that really moved me. That yeah. wow, I just I sound like I'm riding through the country and I'm feeling love. <laughs> and that, that I really love that one. I would die for you was I think I drove my family crazy. <laughs> I would just play that one over and over again. The the hi hat pattern, mm. the the way he hits accents within it. The chords were very like a Sunday school Christian harmony to me. Mm. <laughs> Just it, it it uplifted me. Christian, I'm going to put you a little bit on blast here, but Tell I said I, I told him before we started that I would mention it, so he knows. Why? But as we were coming up in the elevator, he said he had um, never heard any Prince songs, and he'd never heard Purple Rain at all. Oh. What? Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You're like a unicorn. Yeah, <laughs> Christian. Christian, listen. Confession is good for the soul. So my question would be if you. If you had to start him off with a Prince song, or like a primer, something that you think would tell him a lot about Prince, off tell this album or any album, Prince. which one would you choose? Because he'd never heard Purple Rain and he'd never seen the movie. a lot about Prince. I would have to say, but I mean, it's a change in an hour. Yeah. But when I say that to you, Christian, that's, that's the beauty of Prince. He was genre-defying he was he was race defying you know mm-hmm. you don't have to really deal with that christian cuz you're living in a different time you hope <laughs> i got jokes yeah um i would say i want to be your lover because in terms of musicianship the harmonic structures of the songs and the way they flow if you just listen to the guitar playing in that you'd be your mind is blown melodically and lyrically yeah it's such a weird playful strange song that's almost creepy 
But and it's it's just you can't help but dance to it.、Mm-hmm. And he also was the first for me to blend that organic sound that we all associate with soul and funk records. But his synth programming and sonic palette are also amazing. And I think you have all that in that one song, especially the bass outro with the bass synth. But along with all the other organic stuff, it's you'll just be dancing all night. <laughs> One of the the recurrent themes for me and Prince are always these questions about God and the afterlife and the afterworld. 1999 is like let's have a good time because it's the apocalypse. I was dreaming when I wrote this. I mean, it's just such a way to start out a a song. And in the beginning of Let's Go Crazy, it's like wait, what is being said? And later on, he said that this was about God and the devil.、Mm-hmm. That yeah, the elevator was really supposed to be the devil, and he changed the lyrics at the last time at the last moment. And I wonder what that song would have been had he had what he wanted to have in there. It would be hard to party to, that's for sure. <laughs> If you would be saying the devil, I think、I、try it would be, to bring you down. But that、right. pop music, is, it is. I mean, great pop music is is has excellent metaphor. Sure. <laughs> and and yeah, I wonder though. I mean, he wouldn't sing "I Would Die for You" anymore. I remember going to the staple series of Staples Center shows and the.、Mm. Um, early two thousands, and he would no longer sing it. I think it's funny. I think P- Purple Rain also is the beginning of this consciousness. I think the fame he achieved after that, perhaps, is what put him on the precipice,、mm. and or the path, the fork. He hit the fork in the road. I think. I'm curious. Along these lines, are there songs from your own catalog that you don't perform?、Anymore? Of course, there are. Yeah, there's, there's a difference. Bet- I'm fifty years old, and I there's. My first record has songs that I wrote when I was eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, and 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 again, it's only in hindsight that they some of them I see as a burden, like that freedom. Interesting. I put something in、yeah. out into the world that now I have to. It's it's like the book of life, the you know、sure. mythical. You know, I have、right. to, I have to I have that to listen to. I have to reckon with 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 what I've said.、Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, of course there are. Because you are such a Prince fan, because you've been to see him so many times, were there songs that you know had fallen out of his live performance、uh, catalog that, that, you, that, despite understanding and being sympathetic, that you were genuinely disappointed that he wasn't going to perform it? Oh, he never disappointed me. Okay, not a, not、okay. one moment. There's no live show I've ever seen of his where I ever felt a tinge of、mm. disappointment. I I rarely have disappointed.、And、I love even seeing musicians falter.、Mm-hmm. Mm. Because at least I, I, because I just know like, it's not easy. Yeah, yeah, and we live in a world now where it's not a, it's, it's not a criticism. It's not good or bad because I'm really trying to be weary of that as well. But I know there are shows that are touring now. A lot of the things are on tracks because people want to have a show, and、mm-hmm. I'm learning that having a show is very different than being. A musician, yeah, and I think even Prince struggled with that because he's the consummate musician,、mm-hmm. and all he did all that live without all that. And、uh, I was on Warner's,、uh, the same label as him, and I would ask a lot of those guys stories about him. You know, Prince seemed to really struggle with hip hop and the sampling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just because he worked so hard, right, right. And so, 
that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm never disappointed. He's been a mentor to me in the sense of like, yeah, never, you know, can't be disappointed. Everyone here is just trying to express themselves. And it may be different and you may not like it, but there's, you know, you can't question anyone's sincerity. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I try not to do. And um, I must admit, there was the Staples Center show where he decided to play like Raspberry Beret Mm. and a lot of the older stuff, just him. And the guitar, and my and I was brought to tears. Yeah. And there was all the other stuff, which was the great show, right, right. You know, but the the when he just sat down to play the instrument, which I think, I think is going to happen to a lot of people. And then in my in my dreams and my dystopic fantasies, eventually there'll be no electricity, and we're really going to look to those people who can just pick up a guitar and some bongos and move your heart. And so, <laughs> you know. I saw him at uh, the forum at the time uh, the church that I was going to owned the forum, and we were under contract to honor the shows that had been there. Prince's tour was the last show that we did. Mm. The pastor told after Prince passed that Prince was like, I want to see, I want to meet the people that own the forum. This is a church I want to meet. I want to meet them. The pastor's nervous. He's telling us, you know, he's like, I'm in there nervous. I'm trying to be about my business and sound very whatever. He says, I, I'm, I'm thinking Prince is going to keep me waiting because all these, you know, rumors about his attitude and stuff. And he goes, I just hear heels clicking down the hall. He's like, I'm at this beautiful house. And he says, it, we had a two-hour conversation about God. Hmm. Our conversation about God was so long, I didn't think we were going to get the contract because I was like, does he, does he just want to talk about it? I remember being at that show, and Prince's managers and stuff were mad at him because he he decided to sell all the tickets for $20, and they were pissed, but he wanted everybody to be able to come. He had played so many songs that I just was so delirious with hits, and at the moment I was thinking, what else can he play? He did an encore, and he said, don't play with me, L.A., I have too many hits. And then he did like 15 more hits. And so to echo your point, I was never disappointed either. Every concert that I went to of Prince's, the ticket said, please wear purple. And I wore purple down. I was clean as the Board of Health at those concerts, right? (laughs) Dress purple down. But it was a community of old and young men and women, straight and gay, all looking at this genius in front of us. It was years before we knew we were going to lose him. And it was a moment that I thought... I don't think there is one album that I can claim I I got to know Prince. I got to know Prince over his entire career. Although some people would argue that Purple Rain is the most personal album because we see more of himself. I I think you saw, I think Prince slipped himself in in many different places. One of the songs that doesn't get mentioned a lot on this album, and I don't know why because it's a jam, okay, it is a heat rock, is Computer Blue. You're right. Where's My Love Life? I mean, the um, way... Well, you're right. That's, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then I guess at the two-minute mark, he just does a change-up on me, where I just wasn't expecting it to go in that direction. Ooh. Yeah. That's it right there. That yeah, is a jam. And in the movie, everyone starts dancing on the one. Everyone's going side to side. That's just a, and it's instrumental. I I like that. It had a lot of it had a lot of instrumental things going on. 
I mean, that's probably one reason why people have slept on it because it's, it's instrumental. instrumental, right? And, yeah. and that's the bias, right? It's got no lyrics. Yeah. And so, no lyrics. Yeah. Ah, so good. Yeah, there's, yeah, you could talk for days on this record. Was Purple Rain right on time, ahead of its time, or timeless? Right on time. Right on time. Mm. But it's, it may, it's classic, but it's right on time. Right on time. Yeah. Some of it is problematic. Sure. Just like many movies. But, right. You know, these are conversations we didn't get to have with him mm-hmm. pre his transformation into consciousness. You know, he was a young man then. Yeah, it was nineteen eighty-four. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean twenty-six. Yeah, I don't. Even, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. Or you know, or how old Stevie was when he made songs yeah. like "Key Life." It's just yeah. best. It's just best to let that lie and just yeah. appreciate the product. Sure. Yeah. Right. Do you have a fire track off this LP? No, I gotta say, I would die for you. I mean, yeah. I'm mm. sorry it's lame, but that is my one. What is it about it? Just the way it makes me feel. Mm. And I, you know, I mean, I've been listening to this conversation. I, mean, I, just, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be afraid. I'm a, you know, I'm a believer. I am, I am, I believe there's something I cannot see mm. that is greater than myself. Um, and it's, there's, yeah, there's something in there. And eventually he tells us that's what it was, what he was writing about. But I'm, I've, I've feel that from the beginning, from the first time I ever heard it, from the beginning to the end of that song, it's just like he is trying to, to me. Mm. I feel like he's just trying to remind me, like there, there's something bigger than you, and that life is about sacrifice, not necessarily like these mythical, like the blood of the lamb or the yeah, sure. even the Jesus thing, but like you must sacrifice something. And to to know a love like that is just beyond your your conception. But I'm trying to help you feel that so- audibly, yeah. sonically. I yeah. want you to know that know that about life. Yeah. How about for you, Morgan? Do you have a fire track over this? The beautiful ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the only song on the album that starts out with the piano, mm. um, and it just reminds me of uh, of my first crush. And uh, that crush being unattainable because I didn't really feel beautiful and I felt like I was crushing on someone beautiful. Beautiful One stands out to me because it's quiet mm. and it's got a slow build, um, like crushes. And it just felt very magical for me. Mm. You? Well, I mean, the one song we haven't really gotten too deep into um, would probably be Wind Up's Cry. Kurt Cobain. Yeah, that's a good one. So that's so that whole top of it though. When he's reminds me so much of Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. That part sticks mm-hmm. with me every single time. And I think mm-hmm. when I first heard that as a twelve year old, I'm thinking I mean the the guitar solo itself is already incendiary enough. But you don't expect that to come in. It's like, what is he doing? What's the point of it? Does it really matter? It sounds amazing. <laughs> he's exactly. crazy. He's wailing. He's wailing. We call it a squall. 
in the church, church, mm. church folks called a squall. And that's what it sounded like to me. I was like, oh, he's getting ready. He's firing up and getting ready. What else do you hear in this song? I mean, this was like a huge mega. Oh, just like how much he's influenced people. The drum programming is huge influence. Um, the 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 poppiness of the keyboard. He like changed the game sonically with that, and and also it's just his voice that I he can go from this contralto to, you know, soprano effortlessly in leaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, is amazing and lyrically, you know. Dig, if you will, the picture. I mean, that is an incredible opening line, you know? Yeah. As soundtracks go, uh, this one holds up. 1984 had soundtracks, but they were Footloose, The Woman in Red, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, Cop, Beach Street, Against All Odds. Oh, which was a great one. Oh and God, of course, we just recorded an episode about Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink. Oh, which that's I, another I think one. The claim I made during that episode, which was with Eliza Clamp? Skinner, oh. is that it is the second best 80s soundtrack, but of course, number one, and just cannot be moved off its perch, right. Purple Rain. Yeah. Cannot nope. be moved. And in fact, nope. Rolling Stone has it as a number two in the top 25. What's the number one? Uh, help. <sighs> That's very rolling. That's very on brand for rolling. Stone. See, yeah. But I'm going to say that's also a product of race. I'm sorry. I'm going to lop that out. There. No, I think that's 100 yeah. percent on point. I mean, no question. I think that you know the the kind of conventional holy triumvirate of of American um, artists, and it's, it is very male. So I'm, I'm very yeah. self aware of that right now. Is is Michael, Stevie, and Prince? Yeah. I'm just waiting for you. Not that there's an equivalent to Prince, but who else would you put in a camp in terms of people who have shifted music in whatever monumental level that you consider. Like, who else would... Is there anyone that would even come yeah. close to that in that conversation? Oh, D'Angelo. D'Angelo definitely shifted. Oh, my God. You've been chasing R&B for, like, like, like uh, his first recording mm-hmm. f- for a very long time. Jay Dilla. Shifted oh, yes. music. Completely shifted music. Um... I, I I mean, to me, Stevie Wonder's in a class by himself, and that's just a conversation yeah. we don't need to have. I'm, actually, I'm like, don't ever talk about him. I need people not to talk about him. Right. Because <laughs> you just, you can't. Right. You're yeah. not prepared yeah. for that conversation. So I don't, I just don't even have those conversations. But like, there's several artists I feel if like, I mean, in terms of a killer singer who I feel like, She's gonna. She has achieved that as a singer. I think people would disagree material-wise. Is Alice Smith is one of the most mm-hmm. singing cats out here? Mm-hmm. I'd say something. <laughs> and I'm and I have these two categories. I was like, you know, she can sing without a microphone. There are very there are very few people that can sing without a microphone. Mm-hmm. Like I could put her. You could put her in a room. She could sing out with no microphone. <laughs> And change the energy of the room. But it's it's all different. Like then there's the writers. There's there's like that woman who sings for Little Dragon. To me, she oh, carries that line. Yeah, of the prince, the the purity of the mm. instrument. I think she has that as well. Mm. I mean, th- these are complicated conversations. I mean, Flying Lotus. That has changed so many things uh, in the music game uh, in terms of, like, you mean, like, just a phenomenon. And 
I, so I would add them. Okay. Um, mm. But, mm. you know, that's how I believe. I, I think I'm like, will there ever be a Michael Jackson and Prince? We got a different thing. You mm-hmm. know, I think people have the, the, the smoke and mirrors are gone. We're no longer searching for that type of messiah, that mm. type of iconic singer. I mean, we have Beyonce and then some people have Taylor Swift. We have that, but mm-hmm. it's different. It's not like that anymore, you mm. know, to me. Yeah. I don't feel that. But I'm I'm older. I don't know how young people feel. But I talk to young people, and they're like, they got things going on in their devices and in their world <laughs> that are outside of this. This is old paradigm. This is show business. We're having show business conversations. Mm. And I don't think it's about that anymore. Mm-mm. Have you seen the African version of Purple Rain by M. Du Mokhtar? No. Okay. When we leave right now, <laughs> you're going to look up the music of M. Du Mokhtar. Okay. Okay. And he made a movie. It's the African version of Purple Rain. And you can see how he influenced people. But the, the the way the character gets his music around in Africa in this Purple Rain movie is they listen to his jams just as phone rings. Oh. Like, we're, I'm like, that's, I'm just like, that's why I'm like, we're having show business talk. And there's this whole other world going on. Mm-hmm. But even Prince has penetrated that. Mm-hmm. You know, that story, even, the cat even has like a motorcycle riding through the desert. It's the most <laughs> beautiful movie I've ever seen. We ask our guests, this is a tough one, too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't want to answer this myself. Yeah. <laughs> Should I ask it? But we, yeah. we, we ask our guests to describe the album that they chose in three words. And if you had to describe Purple Rain in three words, what would they be? This man's best. Mm. Mm. I'm getting a little sad because I'm just that hit me it made me think of that we don't have him anymore yep um, and again as I said uh, my favorite album is, is always going to be Around the World in, in a Day but when I listened to Purple Rain this morning and on the way over here I thought maybe I got to rethink that because this one this one hit me in a different way than Around the World in a Day Around the world in the day is complicated. Yeah, Um, but it's genius. It is genius. But this one to me is go straight to the heart of Prince or the kid, whichever. I think that there were parts of the kid and Prince that were completely. And it's such a, um, the end of it is such a triumph for Wendy and Lisa, who throughout the movie are saying, please listen to this record. Please play this record. And it ends so well. Yeah. Michelle, if... And only if you feel comfortable um, addressing this, because you mentioned earlier that unlike I think either of us, you've actually had the the opportunity to interact with Prince. Um, But you also said that those encounters were kind of unusual. And I'm wondering if if you would care to elaborate or talk a little bit about like what what was it like actually meeting him and what was it from those encounters that you took away? Oh, it was. um, I think I I think the moment I met him I I like lost my ability to br- to breathe, but then also got to see that he was just a human being. Yeah, and um, and that was hard. And hmm. I'm a complicated human being, and I'm also a very complicated female human being. Mm-hmm. And I think I was a female human being he hadn't really encountered often. There is so much to unpack in that one yeah, statement. But yeah, but that's yeah, and yeah. I never disparage those who have gone. So it, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's because it wasn't. It's just like we were two people that we probably did not encounter often, mm. 
And also, I I I am like that, believe it or not. Even though I I mean I wear flip flops and I'm a beachy, I am trying to be the best at everything I do. I have yeah. a very large spirit, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, and if you don't know me well, that spirit can be aggressive, come across aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, we were two people yeah. that had very big personalities. <laughs> so, but um. Yeah, he, he, I, it's funny. I mean, put it this way. I wouldn't be here. He's another person. When I when I came to L.A., I had a chance to be on his label or Warner Brothers. Mm. Having your idol listen to your music or to have, you know, people compare you. There is no comparison. I'm like the, <laughs> the polish on his shoe. Like, there's no comparison. But to have that happen to you, it's life-changing. It's the thing you want from your parents, so to speak, or that you didn't have. And and it's it just, like I said, life-changing. Mm. And also, we're not, I think we're in a weird time in history where we're not the dinosaurs. Like, we can see the meteor coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you see, you have people like Prince and you have all these other great human beings who have achieved so much yet something in them. There are lessons in these people, and I hope that the people that come after them will heed those lessons because I'm starting to. Thank you for sharing that. I I very much appreciate that. That'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest and my personal um, favorite, Michelle and Deggio Cello. What are you working on now? Right now I'm in L.A. and I'm scoring Queen Sugar. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I created a multimedia um, experience mm-hmm. based on the work of James Baldwin mm-hmm. Fire Next Time mm-hmm. called No More Water. Okay. And I'm making uh, a recorded version of it so people can live with it. And it's music inspired by Baldwin and also his teachings. And so I'm working on that. And I'm do- still touring ventri- ventriloquism at this time. Doing some stuff. You know. Where can folks find you as well? Um, I have an Instagram <laughs> that I, uh, I try to keep up with. Yeah. Uh, that's it. I, Twitter frightens me. I don't participate with the words. <laughs> Probably a smart move. Yeah. What, and what's I, your Instagram handle? Uh, official Michelle. Okay. So yeah, please check it out. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, pleasure. Man. This was incredible. Oh, such such a pleasure. All right. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Morgan Rhodes, and Oliver Wong. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Oliver Wong, along with Shayna Deloria and Christian Duenas, both of whom engineer and edit our show. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every 
episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at HeatRocksPod.com. If you have not had a chance yet, please, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It's a really, really cool way for new listeners to find us and get down with us. We also wanted to thank all of our social media fans out there, including Auto Exec Batman. <laughs> That's cool. Shout out to Auto Exec. We also want to thank DJ Hussa uh, for his comments on the Star Spangled Banner episode. We also want to thank KK Bracken. Do appreciate your support. And last but not least, want to thank Alexander Zinopoulos. Thank you so, so very much for your listenership, your support, and always appreciate the tweezies and the retweezies. One last thing, here's a teaser for next week's episode featuring the one and only Jesse Thorne talking about the Coos magnum opus, Steal This Album. So what was amazing and moving to me about the Coup was it was music that I love the aesthetics of that I didn't have to compromise my feelings about how the world worked to enjoy. Um, and, you know, like if you're a hip-hop fan and you have half a heart, you know, you get used to the idea of triangulating and recalculating. I was having a conversation with uh, Mike Eagle about this, our Max Fun colleague. Yeah. Like you you get used to the idea that like, you know, at the time, like you're, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to hear F word for gays sometimes. And you, you just kind of build a wall between you and that. Right. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing to me about the coup was that it wasn't corny. It wasn't preachy. It wasn't all these things that, quote unquote, conscious hip hop could be at its worst. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was it was like it was funky. It was real. Um, and it was really about something in like a consistent and not just a consistent way, but also a compassionate way, like a caring way. Absolutely. If you're still listening, this is the hidden postscript track that Morgan and I tape about the past episode that you just finished listening to. And wow, Morgan, I mean, having Michelle here to talk about Prince and Purple Rain, woo, that was that was heavy. It was. And if I could be personal for a second, I mean, it, it was huge to have her in here. She's a, a an artist that has weighed so heavily, you know, in, in my own um, coming of age as a listener and my own um, sensibilities um, as as a DJ and as a music supervisor, but it was also good for us to all be in the studio together. I wouldn't have wanted to share this moment with anyone else but yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to go back to something that you said that was uh, really dope when you were talking about um, the beginning of When Doves Cry and you hearing that, you know, oh, a, a, as a young kid. Yeah, yeah. Because I just, <laughs> that's just a moment. I mean, hearing it again on the way here, I was like, what was he doing with his voice? I'm saying, right? Yeah. What was he doing with his voice? I don't know. I don't know how many people um, consider that, that that their best song of the album. I think people would say Purple Rain, but 
that's got to be in the conversation of the top three off the album. When Doves Cry is oh, yeah. killer. Oh, yeah. And th- really, again, we, we, we talked about it during the episode, but you just think about the three the three main sonic elements that hit you when that song begins. And number one, just start with the title, right? If you see that, tr- you see you see the song on a track listing, When Doves Cry, what does that even mean? Like, do birds even shed tears? Right. And we, do we need to get like an ornithologist up in here to, to kind of to, to confirm this or not? But you have that incredible guitar solo that opens, right? Then you have the nyang, that weird vocal thing. Sure. And then the keys come in, you know, the synth. Dun, 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 dun. Right. Amazing. And just, Again, what the hell was Prince thinking with that? Why did he think these things would work? And does it really matter what what he was thinking? Because we just we know in hindsight, like, yeah, it completely worked. But just such an unconventional way to open it that makes it that would have been it would have been a great song even without those things. But you sure. you, you just the way you come into that song is so it's like a it's a miracle in in, in, a, in a particular way. Absolutely, and it's personal. He's talking about maybe I'm just like my father. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is what it sounds like when doves cry, and you're like, well, hell, what does it sound like? Does it sound like coo, coo. <laughs> Does it sound like that squall at the beginning? <laughs> does it sound like you know you going deep about your family? I don't know, but that one is a. Uh, is precious and I hadn't considered you know that that might be one of my favorites from the album because it's hard to pick but that one's just a that's just a banger One of the songs that we didn't talk much about at all during the episode, but really sticks with me, is is "Take Me With You." And I think back to our discussion with Anil Dash about 1999. And I, if I recall, I think one of the things we talked about with that Prince album is that in a lot of ways, this was Prince helping to invent what we now think of as new wave. And Take Me With You to me somehow is both an incredible pop tune, but the way that it opens is to me an extension from that 1999 new wave doodling in a lot of ways. But then it morphs into this just gorgeous pop tune that for some reason reminds me a lot of Raspberry Beret. Maybe it's the chord progressions or something about it is is really similar. That is so on point because this is the song that I felt from the album, the one that didn't belong on the album, the one that made sense for me most to be on Around the World in a Day. It, It, to me... It has those sensibilities, a little bit psychedelic, a little bit 60-ish, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of the the sing-songy between him and Apollonia. And this was the one that I thought, eh, I love the song, but it just felt out of place for me on this album. Right. One track we didn't get into, and I now regret forgetting to bring this up, it wasn't on the soundtrack, so it doesn't technically count, but it was recorded in the same era. It was the B-side to Let's Get Crazy, Erotic City. Ooh.
of my purple life. Oof. But it was one of those things that I didn't really see many, many moments of over-sexualized Prince or Prince being overtly sexual in Purple Rain with the exception of Darlin' Nikki. Sure. Erotic City to me was classic. It belongs in that same family as International Lover, Mm -hmm. as Little Red Corvette, as the sexual parts of Lady Cab Driver, and it was just funky. Um, And that was the beginning of, uh, uh, to me, the the B-side of Prince that some of the B-sides were better than the album. That was one of them. What I marvel about in regards to Erotic City is that my introduction to that was because it got play on L.A. radio. Yeah. And this is a song where the main chorus is, and this is what one of the most genius things is Prince or somebody in his camp was like, no, no, the lyric is we can funk until, until the dawn, dawn, right? Even though it does not sound like funk in it contextually doesn't make sense that it would be funk it would be the other f you you know <laughs> consonant you know, you know k word in there um you know and then the second it, it's followed by uh, making love till cherry's gone like that got play on on radio right. at least in la maybe in other cities they were like no we're not touching this but i definitely heard my introduction to that 100 percent was hearing it over the airwaves here in los angeles in the 80s and just like my god how did he get this song Onto, onto, into airplay. And nobody I knew was saying funk. Fools didn't know. Especially after he said, um, if we cannot make babies, you know, maybe we can make some time. I think he was saying, saying that. But yeah, his, his B-side game... And that's a whole other show. Maybe we right. can have someone on here just to talk about the B-sides that Prince had. I think we need a report back later from our producer, Christian, who had never heard Purple Rain. And we need to maybe put it in our show notes or something about what did he think about the album now that he actually got to sit with it in the process of, it, of producing this episode. Sure. Cause... sure. And, and I'd be curious to know if to you, I mean, as a 24-year-old man, is this something that sounds really dated? Or mm-hmm. is this something you could see yourself bumping now and not be like, this is old? So well, I'll be curious to know what you feel, how you feel about it after you after you play the album. But shout out to you also, but because I was like, I'm not gonna. I told him I was like, I'm not gonna give you a hard time. Like some people are like, if you haven't heard Jay Dillon, yeah. he was like, oh, I know Jay Dillon. Don- Donuts is one of my favorite <laughs> favorite albums. So we won't get. We still love you through this thing, but we do want to know how you feel about it. Thing is, I think it, it's it's easy for people like us who, for professional reasons at the very least, let alone personal, we suffuse ourselves in a world of music, past, present, and, and whatever. But for, I think, most people, even including people who are huge music lovers, you know what exists within your own lifetime. But it, it requires a lot of effort and chance and other factors to be able to discover stuff earlier than that. Yeah. So I'm always surprised, for example, that a lot of my students have never heard um, the Ronettes' Be My Baby, which I think is just mm. one of the greatest pop songs of all time.
But then I think, well, why would I assume they would have heard it? Because this is a song that came out in the early 60s. And yeah, it's been in movies like Dirty Dancing. They weren't born when Dirty Dancing came out. So why, exactly. what would their, their introduction have been to it? So um, I don't begrudge the fact that they haven't heard it. If anything, it's one of those things where that means you actually get to hear it for the first time. And the, you know, that's an experience with a lot of songs. You wish you could kind of relive that. Absolutely. And um, that's, you know, that's the upside of not having heard things that might seem iconic to other folks it's just you get oh wow you get to have that first experience which we can't we can't live that anymore no maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned listener supported